Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, and welcome to the Love Life Connection podcast, a podcast for successful women who feel like they have it all except love. I'm your host, Veronica Grant, a love and life coach. And my only goal with this podcast is to inspire you to believe in yourself and that real love is possible for you, even in our swipe right, swipe left world. Hello, and welcome to episode number 299 of the Love Life Connection podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so excited to be with you today. And this is a really special episode because today is my book's birthday. So if you've been listening for the past few weeks, you know that my book has been on pre-order. And today the book will be either on your e-reader or on your doorstep if you pre-ordered. Maybe not quite on your doorstep, depending on when you place that pre-order and where in the world you are. I'm hearing from some of my Aussie listeners that it's going to take a few extra days, if not up to a week or two. But hopefully you will have those books in your hands very, very soon. And of course, if you do not pre-order, it's totally fine. You can go to veronicagrant.com forward slash book and get the book right now. The book will definitely be available on Barnes and Noble and Amazon, and it'll eventually be available wherever books are sold, uh, at least major retailers, smaller bookstores, you may have to ask them to order it for you. But you know, it's registered with all of the international booksellers. So that shouldn't be a problem wherever you are in the world. And I hope not only that you buy it, but I hope you enjoy it. So today's a little bit different because well, one, it's the third Thursday of the month, which means normally this would be a coaching call, but I'm going to swap it this month because of course of the book. And I wanted to share a little bit more of the book, some behind the scenes stories, um, some part, you know, I share a lot of my own personal story in the book. And um, of course, I can't share everything because that's not the point of the book. And it would literally be, I don't know, a bazillion pages long. So I wanted to invite my friend, Gemma Brady, on the show to actually put me in the hot seat and to interview me. So she actually guides this whole conversation. She is like, as soon as this intro part is over, she is the host of the show and she is, you know, taking it away. And it was super fun to do that. You know, it's funny because my podcast producer recommended that I do this. And I was like, well, to be interviewed on my own podcast, like, come on, that seems a little narcissistic. And, (laughs) and she was like, well, you know, sometimes, you know, having that banter, having that back and forth, having someone ask you some questions and encourage you to dig deeper can actually help you share more about the book, but then also just share some different perspective that you wouldn't necessarily tap into if you were just, you know, sharing on your own. I'm like, okay, when you put it like that, that makes sense. I have this friend who has had a career in documentary filmmaking, and she's like, built her whole career around telling stories and telling other people's stories. You think I should use her? And she was like, uh, yeah. So um, that's who Gemma is. Uh, Gemma has been a documentary filmmaker based in the UK uh, for a good portion of her career. And now she has founded and still runs and directs Sister Stories, 
which is an amazing organization. I always recommend my clients to Sister Stories, at least clients based in the UK, although I think they are going to go global or already global. And basically what Sister Stories is, it's first of all, it's based on the whole idea that we can heal by sharing our story. And so Sister Story started with women gathering in circle and, um, you know, sharing their stories with each other um, and, you know, bonding and, um, you know, really growing and healing through that sharing. Um, Of course, the website can tell you a lot more um, and in better detail than I can. But if you are based in the UK and you're looking for, you know, more soulful female friendship connections, I cannot recommend enough um, either signing up for a circle. You can also get trained on to facilitate your own circle. I just, I love the work she does. And so we'll put that link um, in the show notes so that if you are based in the UK, or again, I do think they're expanding. I just don't know what the state of that expansion globally is yet. But anyways, the link is sisterstories.co. Again, we'll put that link in the show notes. Highly recommend you check out Gemma and the work she's doing over there. She's also got a great Instagram, but you can, I think you can um, reach that Instagram through the website. All right. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy the book. If you've already bought it, if you haven't, again, veronicagrant.com forward slash book is the link to do so. And with that, I'm going to pass this over to Gemma. Well, thank you, Veronica, for inviting me to have this conversation with you and for allowing yourself to be in the interviewee chair on your own podcast. Um, probably a slightly <laughs> surreal experience. I know. I was just thinking because I've been doing a lot of podcast interviews on other shows and I'm like, wait, where am I right now? Oh, right. Gosh, I'm on my podcast. So weird, but really excited that you're going to be interviewing me and that we're just connecting. It's wonderful to have this conversation about the book because I remember quite vividly, actually, when you said you were going to write one. And over the years, I've heard so many people say, I'm going to write a book. And the number of people who actually managed to take that journey and see it through and do it is so few, simply because, I I mean, I haven't written one myself, but I imagine the process is quite extraordinarily difficult in practice. What was it like for you to go from that, like, oh, this will be fun, this will be amazing, to actually executing something that you're now putting out into the world? So it's funny because... I kind of feel like, and I say this even about like running my own business and and being a life coach, like if I knew what it was going to be like, I wouldn't have done it, but I'm glad I didn't know what it was like because it's amazing, but it's also so hard. And so writing the book, like actually writing the book, that was, I don't want to say it's easy, but that was certainly the easier part, but like the refining, the editing, just like also like I self-published. So like figuring out how to just do all that was really hard. And then I feel like, you know, we're recording this while the book is on pre-order. So no one's actually read it except for a few advanced readers. Uh, I feel like honestly, what's going to be the most, most difficult is when people are reading it and then hearing the feedback, you know, I know there'll be some friendly reviews on Amazon, but I know there's going to be people who have no idea who I am, who just found my book randomly on Amazon, read it, didn't like it, probably will say something mean. And I feel like that's going to be the most difficult part. So really, I just had no idea what I was getting into. And I'm glad I didn't know because if, again, like if I had known, I'm like, ah, I'd rather do something a little bit easier. Mm. God, it's funny thinking about your, um, yeah, your future readers, because it is incredibly daunting. You you sort of create, lovingly create this thing, put all of your heart into it and then kind of send it out into the big wide world for kind of feedback, which is terrifying. And Liz Gilbert talks about this beautiful idea in relation to writing of um, always having one person in mind that you're writing for. And she has this friend that I think she talks, but she she was struggling a bit when she was writing Eat, Pray, Love. And she then started to think about this one person. And that was her, her kind of creative process. Who were you writing this for? And kind of how did you get into your sort of audience's mind? Or how did you think about who, yeah, who it was for? I think I was writing it to myself, honestly, as as cheesier cliche that sounds. And now that I'm thinking about it, like when I, when I think about some elements of the book, it really does feel like a love letter to myself in my twenties and really younger than that. Cause I go way back and you know how I met your mother's style, but <laughs> yeah, I, I was really just thinking about what did I need to know at the time that I didn't know, or what do I wish someone had told me or helped me through or helped me to feel or see for myself? So yeah, I think it was just really me. 
that's gorgeous actually because it's that sort of you know we'll talk about this later but there's just something incredibly powerful about sort of excavating your own story through the lens of retrospect with helping other people in mind because we stand in that position of kind of being able to look back that we're able to make sense of it all yeah totally and it was like you know there's something really healing about it as well and I, I even actually mentioned this in the book um there's one section where I'm talking about my lowest of the low. And this is actually just before I discovered what inner child work was. I I had worked with a spiritual counselor and I was just like destroyed by these two relationships I had right in a row, where it's basically the same situation where, you know, we were like together, but they had no interest in taking me seriously or even considering me as a life partner. But like, of course I was like, are we trying on their last names, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. So lowest of, of the low. And when I was just writing about that and recounting it, like I literally just it brought tears to my eyes. It was, I mean, looking back, it was a really important and transformative and some might even say beautiful time, but it was in, in the moment. It was so shitty. It, I felt horrible. I couldn't, I really couldn't function properly. You know, my whole, I, I, I often will say the phrase kind of jokingly, like emotion du jour. Uh, was based on whether or not they were texting me back or if they seemed interested. But like, really, my emotion du jour was just constant. Uh, I don't know if depressed is the right word, but just, um, you know, I've I've always been a very motivated and like wanted to succeed and have all these goals. And, you know, you know, my Capricorn and Sagittarius sides are just like meld, you know, completely together, just doing this and this and this and this. And I and I was living abroad at the time. I was pursuing a master's in something that I wanted to, you know, that I was really passionate about. And like, none of that appealed to me. I had term papers to write, no interest. I had to go to class, no interest. I needed to be applying to jobs. I was in my second year, no interest. I just, all I cared about was like getting this guy to like me back. And I don't remember what the question was, but just recounting that is just, I don't look at her as like sad or pathetic or like, oh, poor girl, but it was just, it was just a lot. And just sending that version of me some love and well, love is like an understatement, but just sending her that love and like this love note, essentially what this book is just is very profound, very healing. And I, I didn't expect that. I definitely did not expect that to happen. I can imagine that when there is a, when you're in the writing process, you really have to take yourself back and you really have to connect you know we we often tell our stories verbally all the time and you know particularly in your line of work I imagine that you know past relationships of yours come up and that that it's a story that you have perhaps got used to telling and yet it sounds like in the writing of this you were yeah you had to sort of go to a new depth of revisiting what was going on and kind of see it through a new lens is that does that feel true yeah, it was it was a new lens and and you know even some some things that I'm worried about like I don't know if the guys in the relationships that I write about I have not informed them <laughs> that I wrote this book. I don't know if I will. I don't know. I actually haven't even thought about that. Um you know, I obviously don't share their identities and you know high details about them etc cetera, etc. Cetera. It's also very much from my perspective what was going on. And so you know, it's one thing just to share like a brief synopsis of a relationship you know, in a one minute, two minute plug that I might talk about on my podcast or in an interview. But then, you know, some of these relationships I talk about for pages and pages. And it's not so much I'm like giving you every single detail. It's more about like, I'm just sharing like these, this one little incident that just sticks out in my, in my mind. And it's interesting to go back because now I have so much perspective and I can see what was really going on. And like, I can see how everything was, I guess one could say working out exactly as it was supposed to be working out. And so it's just interesting to look back at it from, from that perspective. And also, and this is one thing that I tell clients when they're doing inner child work, it's like, oh, I don't really remember my childhood. I don't remember that. Or I don't remember this. But once you start unpacking some of the stuff, <laughs> memories begin to come up and you're like, oh yeah, I, I forgot about that. I forgot about that. And, you know, remembering is a interesting thing because even, and I'll even say this with my clients, like it doesn't matter so much if what you remember is factually correct or accurate. What matters is the story that you told yourself about it. And, you know, so I didn't run these stories that I'm share by these, with these guys, they are how I remember them being. And certainly remember how I made them mean to be, even if, 
even if like the other person's actions or intentions were completely different, what matters is how I remembered it and how, and what that, what I made that mean, because then that created beliefs about myself and how I got Amanda like me or how I got love or how I received love or how worthy I was or, or whatever. So it really is this interesting thing because it remembering things and retelling things is not, I mean, as we know, like retelling history is very political, right? It's like, whose story are you telling? Whose perspective are you telling it from? And so I'm telling it from my perspective. And, you know, obviously I've done to the best of my ability to remember and also to be, and to be honoring to the other people. And like, this is my story, not theirs, not their perspective. Not, I'm not saying like, well, this guy was an asshole because he did this. Like, I don't know, maybe he wasn't an asshole. I just perceived it that way. But so I tell it from my perspective. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to say about that other than that. It's just an interest. It was an interesting exercise and, um, and remembering, and then being able to, I always think of healing as like the, the spiral staircase. And so it's like, you know, I'm on the 10th floor up now and I'm looking down and I can like, and so even though some of the same things have happened, you know, over and over again, throughout my dating and relationship history, like every time gave me perspective. And so now I'm on like the 20th floor or 10th floor or whatever. And I can look down and just have this interesting perspective. And I may not be able to clearly see the first floor anymore, but I can certainly see how it led to the next, the next, the next. And I think that's really the most important piece of the book. And it's so wonderful to read, to go through as the reader, because you've got this really beautiful way of when I'm reading your stories about your relationships, it's just like, it just helps me recognize my own patterns or think about, you know, just that kind of that reciprocity between you as the author and me as the reader and feeling like, wow, I'm understanding myself afresh by hearing about your relationships. And it also just normalizes like that whole process of complexity that goes on within all of us. But I love what you were saying about, about it being very much from your perspective. I know you're a fan of television. Do you, have you seen Married at First Sight? You know, I, I haven't. So I, as of right now, I only have enough room for one reality dating show and that's The Bachelor. Bachelor. Of course it is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've seen, I actually have, have seen one season of, um, oh shoot, 90 Day Fiance, which I love, but it's only been one season. Um, I mean, I won't go too far into it, but basically The Bachelor has been on hyperdrive and it's been season after season after season. We're, we're going to be having a break. So maybe I'll watch Love. Was it Married at First Sight? I love it. I think, I think you might love it. Um, I did know that you're, The Bachelor is your first and only true love. Um, but I, <laughs> you, might want to, you might want to break up because when you were talking about being able with looking at past relationships and seeing it from your perspective and telling it from your perspective. So the premise of Married at First Sight is as it says on the tin, that there are people who meet on their wedding day at the altar. And then the series follows their relationships playing out and kind of how they get to know each other. And on the surface, it's one of those really sort of trashy dating shows. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've really got into it over the last couple of weeks. And what's amazing is that you see, like, because you're the sort of external observer, you see the childhood wounds playing out and the, the way that the interviews are structured, they're doing this from no basis. And it's a kind of, they're going straight into marriage. I don't have a, I haven't seen The Bachelor, so maybe this happens there too, but like. Not really. (laughs) Like there's actually quite a lot of emotional depth that goes on and people's, what one person is experiencing in the relationship and what another person is experiencing often is radically different to what you are objectively seeing happen as the viewer. And it's just really fascinating. And just from what you were saying then about like, it doesn't really matter, like it doesn't, your perspective and how you kind of process what's going on is the important thing because that's all you can control in a relationship and you really delve into that in the book and it's a really nuanced and helpful exploration of like what we're carrying here yeah I give I give like a very simplistic example but you know one example of this is you know let's say you're you played soccer growing up and your dad never came to your soccer games and so you took that as my dad doesn't care about me look at all these other dads here they care about their children but not me and so then you create a story about it maybe what was in the story being like i'm not good enough no one has time for me it's too much to ask for someone to come to something in mind like those are all stories that you can tell yourself from it but maybe what was happening is that your dad was having to work overtime so that he could, you know, pay for things like soccer and soccer practice and the uniforms and all that kind of stuff. So it doesn't matter that that was actually what was 
the real reason why your dad couldn't come to soccer games. What matters is the story you told yourself, because that's where we create the emotional wounding, then the stories and the things that then we live by as if they were absolute truth. So, yeah, I mean, I just, I just find all of that so fascinating and I probably will watch Married at First Sight <laughs> once the season of The Bachelor is over, because that sounds good. <laughs> one I would recommend there is a UK version I haven't uh, I've seen a little bit of it and there is a, I think there's a US version but Australia Married at First Sight Australia is where it's at okay okay I will I will definitely <laughs> definitely watch that yeah The Bachelors it, it's it's not really it's, it's not really fun to psychoanalyze the last few weeks of the seasons are more interesting but like most of it is it's basically like pro wrestling like it's all fake it's all staged I think the last few weeks when it's like down to three or four finalists, I think that's where the producers aren't as heavy handed. And so it's a little bit more real. And so, that, so in that way, it's more fun for me to watch, but um, yeah, it's, it's not like, I mean, you could see people's childhood stuff or inner wounds coming up, but not because of the relationship, but just because they're being traumatized by the producers. So it's a totally different situation. Anyways. <laughs> um, from one extreme to the other, you've, you've talked quite a bit about inner child work and you cover it in depth in the book. Tell us more about that for people who don't don't know much about what that yeah. is. And why it's helpful. Yeah. So I think inner child work is really the the missing piece um, in a lot of this kind of work. Um, you know, when you've been attracting the same kind of relationship or same kind of pattern, or you've been in a similar emotional pattern, you know, promising yourself that next time will be different or that you won't ignore red flags next time, or that you just need to update your profile or go from tender to bumble. Like all of that stuff may have a short-term positive effect, but like ultimately, like, because the way the, the way the brain works, it's going to go back to autopilot and autopilot is what you believe to be how the world works. Right. And those things got developed again, like when your dad didn't come to soccer practice or whatever the thing is. And so the point of like me going pretty in depth to my dating history and relationship history is not so much like, here's exactly what I did. And you can do this too. Um, I find a lot of pop culture self-help is kind of like that, you know, it's like, you know, like the Rachel Hollis's and you know, people like that are like, here's exactly what I did. And here's exactly what you can do so that you can solve all your problems too, and be a rich influencer like me, <laughs> you know? And, and so I share my story. Cause I do think there is, you know, I do think there is healing in, in, um, being able to, there's something about, and you probably can explain this better than I can, but like, when you just share something that's more generalized, you're like, okay, cool. Like that's interesting or whatever. But when you share like a very specific story, you know, like about, the time when I first met my therapist, you know, I talk about how it was in Jerusalem and Jerusalem has like these old ancient winding roads. It's impossible to find anything or find an address. It was before Google maps. So my therapist and I, for the first time we met at a coffee shop, just so we could, she could show me where the office was. And just before, well, I was sitting at the coffee shop waiting for her to come and she figured out who I was. And she walked up to me and she says, are you Veronica? And I just started like bawling, like right there. So I talk about that story right now. Has that happened to anyone else who's ever read or who's ever going to read this book? Like probably not, but there's something about the specificity of that story. That's like, Oh, I totally feel that. And then whatever that unpacks for you or brings up for you, then, you know, that allows you an access point into your own stuff. And so inner child work is how I think you can see how, yeah, there's, I had my own path. I had my own story. I had my own shit that I was dealing with. That doesn't mean you have to follow you know, do this and then go work on the Obama campaign and then stop dieting and then like have one more shitty relationship. And then you'll meet your husband. You know what I mean? Like that's, you know, long story short, kind of what happens to me, but inner child work helps you be like, okay, I didn't have this story or this incident, like with the therapist. And I just started bawling in the middle of a coffee shop in front of her or, or whatever. However, now I have these tools that she's talking about how I can find my rock bottom or like my, like, on the floor, crying on the floor moment or whatever. And I can use these tools that she's talking about um, so that you can just make it applicable to, um, to you. And I talk about this over and over in the book. And it's even like a quick note to the reader before the book officially or technically starts. And that is like, you know, don't lose your agency and my story or any other story or any kind of other self-help piece that you might read, because we all have our different experiences. We all have our whole different privileges in society or don't have certain privileges in society. And so while 
like, that's just the reality. That's just where we, that's just the world that we, we live in. Um, inner child work is what you can then take or use to, um, like, okay, so why do I feel this way? Like what steps do I need to take? Um, what's my healing game plan and inner child work helps you create that. That's really customized and unique to you so that you keep your agency in the process. Cause if you give your agency away, meaning like, oh, well, so-and-so says this, so I should do this. Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like then like, it's going to make it really hard to heal, really hard to shift patterns because you're probably just ultimately doing the same pattern that you're trying to get rid of, right? Like if you're giving your agency or sovereignty away or your power away to some self-help book or self-help influencer on the internet, you know, you probably have done something like that in a partner, (laughs) giving your power away to them. You know what I mean? You raise a really important point there about just about helping the reader really connect to their own story because it, you know in all the work that I do and have done um, in the documentary world and with sister stories and I've trained in narrative therapy and narrative therapy is essentially you are we all have the options of how we connect the dots in our own story and there is the ability to reconfigure that, not in a kind of bypassing way or a sort of like minimizing our experience way, but it's almost like a recalibration of our story. And and the way that you describe sharing yours, the way you've done it in the book is like this storytelling technique, which is something called the glimmering detail, where like when when someone focuses in their storytelling on something really specific, it helps bring it alive so that the reader can can relate it to their own life. And it's just Mm -hmm. like this you know, again, going back to reciprocity, you do it really beautifully. And I all the way through was making connections with my own experience and really kind of able to have that kind of agency that you were talking about. So it's a really, yeah, it feels like a very, um, not a sort of didactic process, a really kind of generous offering of what you've learned and how you've learned it with lots of room for people to take that and as they will and kind of really work with it. But one of the things I wanted to ask you about was, you know, because you're telling your story from the place of retrospect, you talk in a couple of different ways about, including through an um, extended How I Met Your Mother reference, about <laughs> the sliding doors moments and kind of um, things, tiny decisions that we make along the way that will lead us to the point where we don't know we're yet to reach, which you know might be finding a relationship. That's wonderful from the point of retrospect, but if you're in the not knowing, if you're in the thick of dating and how, like, how's that helpful when you're in the thick of that? <laughs> One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Yeah, so I think it's, it, look, I don't necessarily think that um, falling back onto that, like, okay, it's all working out or we weren't meant to be, or if this person's for me, they won't pass me. Like, I do believe those things are true. However, leaning back into those kinds of mantras or beliefs, they're not going to make the pain, whether it's like rejection or whatever, go away. And nor are they supposed to, because when we suppress our emotions, that's when we're far more likely to repeat the relation or the relationships or the patterns or the emotional patterns or, or whatever it is. So I want to be clear about what it helps you do and wasn't and what it doesn't help you do. Um, ultimately, in our life, we have a lot more control over things than we think we do. At the same time, we certainly don't have control over everything. And one thing that we don't have control over is we don't have control over whether or not someone wants to be with us, if they feel the same things we feel, if they want the same things we want, all of those kinds of things. And so my thinking is like, well, what else are you going to do, right? Other than trust that there's something here to learn. There's something here to grow from. There's something here to build your perspective. There's something here to help you get more clear on what it is that you do or do not want in a relationship. Because again, 
the alternative feels a little bit more like either a suppressing the emotions and and just pretending like it's all just out there and you're here and living your life or whatever, which again, isn't helpful or B you end up trying to control things that you can't really control. Like getting someone to like you back or wanting getting someone to try to be in a relationship with you or, or whatever. And ultimately I do think that actually creates more pain than just being at peace and accepting what is, even if what is kind of sucks in the moment. And I know that because I, again, I go into depth in these two relationships right in a row where I was trying to control. I was like master manipulator, not like in a, an abusive kind of way, but like a manipulator and like, okay, I, cause like I knew this, okay. The second guy that I talk about, I knew his schedule. Cause we worked together. I knew like when he was at work, I knew that he would go to this protest every Friday. So I made sure I went to that fucking protest every Friday <laughs> so that I would run into him and then, Oh, it's Friday night. We should go hang out. You know what I mean? Like, like I was trying to control in that, in that way, but then, you know, because I was so hyper-focused on, on that, a, it just led to more pain because it just, it just gave more opportunity for rejection and more rejection and more rejection because ultimately I would never get really what I wanted. So I don't know if this answers the question that you're asking, but really like, it's still probably going to suck, but I really do think that when you can lean back into like, okay, it's all working out. There's something here for me to learn. There's some way for me to grow. Again, that can still be a really shitty time. Um, It could also be true that someone did something really shitty to you. So I don't want to like bypass that, but also it's like accepting what is, whatever, what is, is, is a lot, lot less painful than trying to change things that you just do not have control over. You know, it's just really interesting. I was thinking about this, this date. I didn't talk about this in the book, but during that time when that relationship was kind of breaking down the second relationship, there was this guy in my graduate program who had a mad crush on me and he was really cute and he was really nice. And, um, we were, you know, we were in the same grad program. So obviously very parallel career tracks. And I think I finally agreed to go on one date with him, And it was really nice. Like he was a really, really nice guy. And I never dated him because I was just so freaking distracted by this other guy. And I always kind of wonder, like, I don't think, you know, I still know him. I don't think we, our lives ended up being very parallel to each other. So I'm not like, oh, maybe I should go leave my husband and date him. But I was just kind of wonder like, gosh, like if I wasn't so freaking wrapped up and like trying to control everything and not being in this like more trusting place, I don't know. It could have been a great relationship for probably a short amount of time, but I don't know. Maybe I would have grown faster and through that. Who knows? Who knows? It's an it's an alternate universe. You know, obviously it didn't happen. Um, but I do think that when we're trying to control, we miss things like that. Yeah. And, and you raise something really interesting here that comes out in the book. So I sort of challenged you a bit then of like, why, why is it, you you know, it's all very well from the perspective of retrospect. Why is it useful? But I'm only asking that just because, you know, when you're in that hard place, it's hard, but you have this really beautiful way of describing and encouraging the reader to kind of lean into trust and to kind of be with trust. But you also, and you've just made this point, you uh, and it, you kind of expand on it in the book is talk a lot about the importance of agency like nothing will happen if you're sitting around in your home watching Netflix like you need to there are lots of things that you can do to make things happen and I'm really interested in like what how you kind of see the difference between agency and going for things and you know one version of the story could be you're putting you're going to the protest you're putting yourself giving yourself the best opportunity to be with this guy but also you talk about, you know, kind of the kind of not overly controlling. So how do you see that balance? Cause it's a kind of really hard thing to discern. I think I'm interested in your thoughts on it. Yeah. Well, then I had no discernment at all. <laughs> then I had zero. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I think now I have pretty good and obviously I'm not, I'm not dating now, but I do find there to be lots of similarities between dating and running a business. So I do find myself kind of in similar situations, but now I find that I have much more agency. Like what are the actions that I can take? And then what are the actions that I just have to like, I don't know, leave it to God, universe, divine, whatever, you know, your spiritual thing (laughs) might be. And I think it takes, I definitely think there's some maturity that goes with that, that you just learn as you just get older. But I also think that it's not just maturity at all. I think it's also like what inner child work ultimately is, is it's, Yes, it is a healing modality, I believe, but more than that, it's a new way of relating to ourselves. 
So we all have a way that we relate to ourselves. You know, we can be very critical on ourselves. We can shit talk ourselves. We can expect perfection of our, of ourselves, like um, very high standards, all those things. These are ways in which we relate to ourselves. So inner child work suggests that, well, maybe instead of like being an asshole to yourself, when something doesn't happen the way you wanted it to happen instead, like, what if you treat yourself like you would, you know, a child, if it was your own child or you know, a niece or a nephew or imaginary child, whatever, like, Oh, it's okay, sweetheart. You're doing a really good job. Like you, you did your best and it didn't happen the way you want. And it sucks. You can be sad, but this has nothing to do with who you are or your worthiness. And and I think that kind of relationship with ourselves helps you to figure out what you truly do have control over and, and don't have control over. You know what I mean? You know, like with, you know, it's, it's like same thing with running, running a business. Like I can, put things out in my podcast around like, Hey, like I have this book (laughs) that you can buy. I cannot literally go to people's house and be like, buy my book. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so there just has to be like this point of where I'm like, okay, I've done everything that I can and everything else is left up to some other entity other than, than me. And I'm okay with that, but it takes time to, to get there, especially when we've outsourced the thing that we're trying to get to our worthiness. So like if a, like for me, like a guy liking me back was validation. And I talk about a lot, a lot about this in the book. And so I don't even know if I was really in a place to have been able to have that boundary or that discernment then, because like I needed that validation at all costs. Cause I didn't have a way to source that from within. And so through the process of, of inner child work, you know, you know, other spiritual work that I do. And that I did allowed me to be like, yeah, you know, it'd be really got nice if this guy liked me back. It'd be really nice if this person bought my book. It'd be really nice if this person wants to be my friend or whatever the thing is that I want in my life or I'm trying to manifest or whatever. But then also just drawing the line and be like, I've done everything that I can. And whether or not they like me back, want to be my friend, want to buy my book, want to date me, whatever, has nothing to do with me. And what you're describing there is kind of a skill for dating, isn't it? Like, like getting that really stable in a platform, that sort of self-sovereignty, that like really grounded place to operate from so that you can kind of yeah be with what life has for you. You know, the reject, the complexity of it all, the not, it not working out, the rejection, all those things. And I think you may you share something really that I found so interesting in the book and I'm sure lots of people relate to it, which is like talking about kind of in so many areas of your life you had all the motivational quotes you did the self-development you felt like yeah I'm doing this stuff and you know you were really into it uh, but then in relationships that you couldn't apply it tell us more about about that and how kind of how you t- allow people to make that transition from it being theoretical to like living it it didn't even cross my mind it's so weird it did not even cross my mind it was really that that spiritual counselor that I talked about in the book where I was like Oh, so like this stuff actually has an application and it's not all just theory. Um, it didn't even cross my mind. And I, I don't know why. And I don't know why I had this. I think it was just like just something innate in my personality. You know, my friend Veronica's an astrologer would say it's my rising Sagittarius, but I've always had this desire to learn and to just to like delve deep into like my soul and like really understand. And like this is why I like to work with clients because I want to understand their soul too. And even though like, I loved all of this stuff, like, oh my God, just total cheese ball. I mean, having all these quotes around my room and everything, but I just loved it. Didn't even cross my mind that like, I could actually learn something from it and apply it to my life. And so it was really her, the spiritual counselor where she was like, again, she was asking about family. I talked about this in books. She was asking me about my upbringing and um, she was like, oh, so it doesn't sound like your family was emotionally close growing up. And at first I was like, what the hell is she talking about? (laughs) And, and then I was like, oh, like, that's like, if you think about that spiral staircase, that's when I went a level up and I could have some perspective and I'm like, oh, so that's what was really going on. That's why I always wanted to lose 10 more pounds. That's why I wanted a guy to like me back. That's why I wanted to have like brand, like when I was growing up, like Abercrombie and Fitch were like, Ooh, if you had that, you were, you were doing well. And so like, that's why I care about that stupid shit. <laughs> I mean, not that it's stupid. If you want to buy neighboring clothes and whatever, be my guest, but you know, um, so once I really, you know, was able to get that perspective, I don't remember what the question was, to be honest. <laughs> I 
was just talking about that um that piece about being so kind of into the motivational quotes the self-development in your personal yeah. life and to apply it to your relationship yeah, yeah. okay yeah. So, yeah 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 okay sorry so th- so yeah once I you know once I understood like why I wanted these things then like you know when I, I never really went back to, well that's not true I was going to say, I never went back to consuming self-help that, that that wasn't totally true. I just consumed it in a different way. Like I actually would think about it and like, oh, how does this apply to my life? Does it apply to my life? Do I want to apply it to my life? And honestly, it was really my relationship with my body where I first was able to apply it. And I, and I talk about this a lot and I do this a lot with clients, like, you know, so often, you know, we can like do our meditation or journaling or whatever. And then like, we go to brush our teeth and we look in the mirror, like, Oh, I look fat, you know, like there's a disconnect there. Right. And so, cause it was just a couple of years after I started working with that, the woman in, in Jerusalem that I finally, you know, I had enough perspective. I was filling my cup in other ways. That I was finally able to get off the diet train. And cause I had been constantly counting calories. Like I would close my office door and like do like hundred jumping jacks. So I could earn my glass of wine. If I was like already at my calorie quota or whatever for the day. And so when I stopped doing that, that was really the first place where I was able to see like, oh, okay. There's actually an application to this. It's not just like interesting theory. And so when I would find myself having the desire to like, oh, I'm looking a little pudgy again, or or feeling fat or whatever, then, or when I'd have the desire to like, oh, let's download that app again. So I can start calling just for two weeks, just to get myself back on track. These are all things I used to do or tell myself, but instead I could catch myself in those moments. And then I could, you know, talk to that, that teenager who, you know, just didn't feel good enough or whatever. And then I could recalibrate and do something else that would fulfill that need to feel good enough or worthy or, or whatever. So I think it was really like, you know, and I, and I share this a little bit in the book, but like, like I, I understood, like I got the perspective from her, but it wasn't really until a few years later where I was like, oh, this is what this means. Cause I talk about that. I, I like backslid a little bit. Like I was largely single for a couple of years. I, I dated a little bit here and there, but you know, nothing crazy. And, and largely because was, I was, I was just focusing on other areas of my life. Cause I just was so exhausted from relationships. So it was fine. It was a fine time in my life. It was actually a really fun time in my life. Um, but then I had worked on the Obama campaign. And so anyone who's ever worked on a campaign, at least in the U S it is like banana cakes. Oh my God. Like I, I, I think a hundred hours a week. I don't know. It was like 7am to like 11pm at night, seven days a week. It was insane. So, so it was totally burnt out. And then I, you know, I moved to DC after that, which is what I'd always wanted to do. Cause I thought I'd marry my Jewish political guy there <laughs> or meet him there, I guess. And I did meet him there, but he was not political. That's another, another story. He's an engineer. But my point is what I'm trying to say is when I dated that first guy, when I first got to DC, he caught me in a weak moment because I had gotten kind of off the train with my health habits. Like I just not like in terms of dieting, but just like in terms of like having just a healthy relationship to my body, I was just eating garbage because like you're, when you're working that many hours, like what else are you going to do? I was also just like, Oh my God, I was just, it's just a really, really hard work environment. And then I moved to this new city. I was not making a lot of money. I accepted the first job that I could. Cause I was just scared. I was like, I don't know how long I'll be unemployed for. So it was a really shitty job. It was really shitty hours. It was really shitty pay. I had friends in DC, but at that point, a lot of my friends had moved. So it wasn't as, you know, it wasn't exactly what I was hoping for it to be when I had wanted to move there in my younger twenties. And so he just caught me in a weak moment. And when that relationship fell apart fairly soon after it started, that's when I was like, oh, now I see how, like, now I see what's going on. So like, it took a few times. It also took like I just find, I mean, literally the body is tangible. Like I can, I can pat my shoulder, like I can feel my legs. And so when we treat our bodies in certain ways, I think that's one of the best places to practice, like how you want to treat yourself in less tangible ways, how you want to show up in relationships, which are much less tangible, how you want the other person to treat you often less tangible ways, but the body can be that tool to help you learn how to, um, 
I guess, make it real. Beautiful. And it's kind of not that thing that you, you do the course or you read the book or you, you, it's like a um, gradual implementation and kind of integration of all of these lessons, isn't it? And again, it's just yeah. that the way that you share your story over time, it's just really helpful to kind of have it validated that like people don't get, you know, it's not always overnight and that's okay. And that is, you're so good at kind of pointing out really allowing things to be part of the process is a very positive positive thing and it just feels really reassuring when you read the book there's a real sense of like wow okay I feel like there's things I can do I'm learning from someone else's story and yeah it's just got a really beautiful tone to it and kind of yeah reassuring sounds a bit sort of um soft but it's it's a very it's a really beautiful experience reading it yeah I wanted people to feel empowered and inspired empowered overused but like yeah empowered not empowered sovereign I want them to feel like they had a lot more sovereignty in their love life because I think you know I get a lot of emails and messages where people just feel like their love lives are just completely determined by the algorithms or by you know men sending dick pics or men who say they're you know want to be in a relationship but then are non-committal and like I'm not saying those things don't suck or they can't happen but um, you have a lot more power and sovereignty in your love life than you think. And so that was really one message of, of the book. Like, like you don't have to like game any system, you know, like when I see headlines around, like, you know, do this to like get back into his arms, or if he's pulling away, do this. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I'm so curious sometimes listen to those or read those blogs. I'm like, what are they talking about? Like, how can you get someone to like you? Like, I don't know. I'm very curious, (laughs) but to me, it also seems like a bunch of, you know, malarkey or whatever. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I want people to feel inspired and like, oh yeah, like I have a lot of control. I don't have complete control. No one has complete control, but you have a lot more control and agency than you think you do. And the other thing that I, that I wanted people to, oh, what was the other thing? I totally slipped my mind, but I think, you know, I guess, I mean, I don't remember what I was going to say. Maybe it'll come back to me, but you know, that was also the reason why I named the book. You are meant for love. Like no one's meant to be single. No one's meant to be alone unless you want. And if that's truly what you want, that's fine. But, you know, if somebody wants love, wants a relationship, you are meant for it. Because I think that, I don't know, we're all divine beings and therefore we're all worthy of whatever it is that we desire. Yes. And I've kind of, just as you were talking then being able to formulate what I mean by reassuring which is like you don't take you, you know you are sort of notoriously no nonsense <laughs> and you're like five <laughs> steps to this what a load of rubbish um but you kind of really hold you hold simultaneously that hope that feeling of like you're meant for love it's all possible for us and this is nuanced and complex and here are all the ways that I know you can support yourself to find yeah love and to help ease that journey and that's that's where the reassurance comes because it's like it's not you know like loads of phony steps and things it's kind of a a series of very grounded really nuanced and complex and well thought through practice and solutions you offer good yeah I I don't really like steps even if I ever I have done workshops or classes where I'm like this many steps or whatever and even if I do I always give a disclaimer it doesn't mean it's a linear process. Like sometimes you might do step one, then step three, back to step two. So I'm actually really liking the word framework a lot more now. Like, so you have like this container of like different pillars or piece or like points of the puzzle, but it's not like a linear process because nothing's linear process. I remember what I was going to say the other thing that I wanted to say earlier. And, and that is what also I want people to get from the book, other than knowing that they're meant for love and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> is... Um, you know, and this is also why I love how I met your mother. Like you could be in the middle. Like I talk a lot about how the number of people I had to meet in order to be led to Stevie was a process over eight years. And it was like five or six people where I finally met Stevie. And some people might hear that and be like, oh my God, like such a long time, but who knows? Maybe you're in the middle of that process right now. And you're only like two connections away or one connection away. Like you don't know that, right? Because you don't have the perspective of time right now, but that's why I don't know. This is where I can really get into like more spiritual stuff, but that's like kind of also what's really, I know it's easier to say when you're kind of, again, on that 10th floor or whatever of the spiral staircase. But I I think that also, you know, is what makes life kind of more of that spiritual thing, which I think makes it really beautiful. Yeah. And your journey has been beautiful with it. Um, And yeah, I think people will really enjoy the book. So if people want to get hold of it where can they yeah tell us more about how to get hold of the book and 
the price. Yeah. So um, they can get that at veronicagrant.com forward slash book. And there are links to all the places. It's definitely Amazon, definitely Barnes and Noble. It'll be everywhere eventually. I just, again, I'm self-publishing. So I'm kind of in the dark here a little bit. So it'll be basically wherever you can buy books, but definitely Barnes and Noble and Amazon, but any other links, including the Amazon and Barnes and Noble links will be at veronicagrant.com forward slash book. Wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing your story in the book. Thank you for offering this work to the world. And, you know, going through that really hard process of putting pen to paper and getting it out there. Got a huge amount of respect for that. So well done. I know that so many people will benefit from it. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for, you know, humoring me and interviewing me. This was super fun. (laughs) Enjoyed it. And we had a bit of dating, dating program chat in. (laughs) You're like the only person I can talk to about this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad I can be that person for sure. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Love Life Connection podcast. You can find the show notes for this episode at veronicagrant.com forward slash podcast. And that's also the place you can sign up to be coached by me here on the show. And if you love this podcast, please leave a review over on Apple Podcasts. It helps more incredible women like you find this show and find real love. Until next time, remember, wherever you are is exactly where you need to be. You're not broken and you don't need to be fixed. Just because you've never had the relationship you want before doesn't mean you can't have it now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.